You are listening to Game Like Training Radio. We're talking all about learning so you can know how to play your best game on the golf course. I'm one of your hosts, Cordy Walker. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Cook. And today we are talking with Ian Highfield. We're covering five myths that people have about learning and player development, specifically developing junior golfers. This is a really fun conversation and we um, dive into some topics that might make some people uncomfortable, but really need to need to figure out as a developing developing players yeah to be honest cordy this this is going to be awesome with ian but i'm also really excited for the course that we're going to launch in a few weeks time because i actually get the chance to show people and show all of the listeners how to implement some of these research concepts and some of this quite complex information we've been talking about i actually get to show people in real time on a golf course or on the practice range how to actually implement it so it's going to be going to be really cool yeah we were talking about like what would be the best thing to do after we finish this first season and really it would be to dive deeper and show people how to set up highly effective learning environments and so you're going to walk people through that and over five weeks you're going to do a session a week and those will be live and recorded all that good stuff and then there'll be a community so you can ask questions and kind of figure this out how this applies to you and then you're going to bring along a, a couple guests as well to dive into this yeah i mean I- I- ian's even going to be one of those guests so yeah. it's, it's going to be great there you go and we actually just launched information today so if you're listening to this you can check it out it is on the on the page for this episode as well as at golfsciencelab.com slash glt that is where you can get all the info about this anything else to add before we get into the episode matt just take a look at it and get signed up it's the thing that i've been the most excited about i I get to share my true passion which is educating people on the new learning sciences so i just advise everyone to go ahead and check it out (laughs) that's that's good advice matt all right let's get into it with ian All right. Today we are covering myths of player development. We have Ian Highfield who's joining us for Game Like Training Radio this week. Ian, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks, Cordy. How's yourself? Really good. If if people don't know who you are, could you do just like a quick 20 second bio of kind of what you do? Yeah, yeah. I'm the director of mental performance uh, at the Bishopsgate Golf Academy, uh, which is based uh, just outside Orlando in Florida. And also, I'm the director of mental performance at the International Junior Golf Academy, which is based in Hilton Head or just outside Hilton Head, South Carolina. Brilliant. And what does that mean? Like, what are you doing with with students or like what what does that mean? I'm really in charge of, I guess, helping these these young athletes uh, develop psychological characteristics of excellence. That's that's what I guess I would call them or. The studies would call them and I, I do that in in a few ways um, I work with the students on an individual basis so one-on-one sessions if they request it I do group work that takes place in the classroom and then we take it out onto the golf range or preferably the golf course uh, and I also work with the coaches of both academies helping them develop their understanding of sports or golf psychology and and giving them practical tools and solutions to apply it into the training you know when i'm not there 
so that would be the the majority of the role but I'm extremely blessed to to be able to do it it's it's a passion of mine and I I really really enjoy it it's it's awesome all right well let's get into it I know we've got a whole list of myths we have about 20 30 minutes let's see how many we can get through Ian kick us off where, where do we start with myths around player development and learning I'm gonna start with one that was that was thrown at me a lot when I first started uh, working in golf psychology I mean maybe even nearly a not quite a decade ago now but coming up to that and a lot of experienced coaches said to me you know I don't think these juniors need mental coaching and yeah I want to basically start with that myth <laughs> because it's absolutely and, and utterly untrue I think if we look at the if we look at the PGA Tour we can see that every single golfer swings it differently we can see that there's different grips different body types major major differences throughout the mechanics and the physical ability but if we actually take a close look at the things that these players do have in common they have psychological characteristics of excellence in common they all have a certain level of resilience they all have a certain level of grit and they have to have that because if they don't they wouldn't be on the tour you know it's the average age i think of getting your your card on tour is 27 or 28 if you go through tour school if you go through the tours progressively so if you were to go sort of hooters tour to web.com to pga tour that's maybe like an eight-year journey so when we're looking at an 18 year old they're statistically between eight and ten years away from achieving their goal if they want to play on tour when we look at a, a seven eight-year-old which can which can be the age that we're delivering lessons to they're 20 years away you know the rory mcelroy's the jordan spieths they're the anomalies they're the outliers so if you don't develop certain psychological characteristics like grit and resilience, then you're not going to see out this journey. So I like to bust that myth, if you like, straight away and advise any any parent or any coach, you know, start working on on children's psychology and, and mental games. Absolutely. As soon as you possibly can. It's a it's a vital component to them uh, learning and, and growing and working closer to their goals and dreams. That's really interesting in that you mentioned these characteristics of, you know, psychological excellence. Yeah. What and 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 you know, you mainly work with juniors, am I right? You you mainly yeah, yeah. work with a lot of junior athletes that are aspiring to be professionals or uh, or play to a very high level. Yeah. What do you and especially coming to such a a high class facility that that you that you're working at? Yeah. You get them coming from all over the world, different backgrounds, different cultures, different upbringings. What do you think are some positive and negative effects within these student, different students' social surrounding during their upbringing at home? What do you think some of the positive and negative effects for developing those psychological characteristics of excellence are? Yeah, I mean, it can be... It can be very hard adjusting to 
to a new climate. So if you're from a wealthy background and historically you may have had like a maid, you may have had um, your parents, you may have had a driver do everything for you. Life's been relatively straightforward. And then you come to a golf academy and you come into a pretty intense training model and a training model that in practice, really to get the results, you're going to have to fail. So a lot of these young students, and, and this just isn't exclusive to the golf academy model. This is exclusive to, to just youngsters in general. They miss the, the grit and the resilience and the desire to be task orientated. A lot of them are just searching for instant gratification. You know, they want to do it and they want to do it now. Um, and I think that's the culture that we live in. You know, we, you want to lose weight, you can go and get plastic surgery or you can take a pill, <laughs> not mm. go to the gym and exercise solidly for six months. Yeah. So I think not only do a lot of the, the young children get things done for, for them and life's relatively easy. And if you want to be successful, you need a training model that isn't easy. You need a training model that's hard and that develop, develops grit and resilience. So as well as maybe the, the, the family background providing it, actually society as well on a whole makes or attempts to make things easier and attempts to give people instant gratification and you know it doesn't it doesn't work if you look at even spieth he failed to win the masters he won the masters he failed to win the masters it will be interesting you know what he does this time round. but he shows a lot of resilience uh, yeah. to lose it one year in the manner that he did uh, to bubba watson and then come back the year after that's a psychological characteristic of excellence. If you have everything done for you all the time, and if you believe in these quick fixes, diet pills, plastic surgery, that's not the right mindset to be able to, to kick on and achieve what Jordan Spieth did. So myth number one, we talk about don't need mental training. Before we move on, I just want to make sure that we don't gloss over mental training and, and maybe define that quickly. Like, what, is, what does that mean to you, Ian, when you say mental training? I would say we want students to develop psychological characteristics of excellence and and to me and, and my studies and my research that would be what i would call the first one or one of the most important would be metacognition so really self-awareness understanding your cognition understanding your brain being aware of what's going on pattern recognition if you like that's a definite characteristic of excellence and then goal setting and being able to set mastery goals over ego goals. So goals that are fulfilling for you that are intrinsically motivating, that's scientifically proven people who reach excellence, that's a trait that they have. So metacognition, goal setting, growth mindset, uh, for sure, growth mindset, taking learning out of anything, an absolute characteristic of excellence, grit, resilience, self-determination. So all of those characteristics have to be in place for an elite athlete to develop the way that they need to. 
Uh, and then when you're performing, I would say the ability to focus on the process, disconnect yourself with, with the outcome at any time. So again, process focus is a, is a psychological characteristic of excellence. And so are you like building those? I mean, is that a conversation that you have with someone? Is that like drills on the golf course? Like, I just want to make sure that we have a clear picture of, of mental training. It's kind of a three, a three phase approach that I take. Um, so there's education for sure. So it starts with education, understanding what, let's say, what a growth mindset is. And then it's inspiration. My main role for, for the junior athletes is to help them discover a compelling reason why they need to do this. Otherwise, the education just stays as education. If there's no compelling reason for them to change, it's just like a maths class or it's just like a science class that they would have at school. So educate the individual in the topic, create a compelling reason for them to change, and then provide an arena for the practical application. So then take it to the golf course or take it into a a student, an area of the student's life that they need to develop in and give them a task to complete, a practical task where they'll have to think differently and begin to, to rewire the brain. And we're looking really at then, once they complete the task, making it habitual, making it part of their routine. So, yeah, that's how I, all of those characteristics, I've, I've developed classroom sessions, I've developed inspirational videos for students to watch um, with their role models talking about these, and then practical tasks that they can engage in to actually start to change the, the way the, the brain is, is working. Amazing. All right. Number one, I think we covered that one. Let's do another myth. What do we have next? I want to talk a little bit about the parents' role. There's a lot of people that say, you know, okay, the parents shouldn't be involved. The parents should be absolutely out of it. They should have no input. I mean, that's just absolutely not possible. And the research that I've done and the research that actually I've been given more of recently by um, Stuart Morgan at IJGA, who's really hot on, on this subject, really it boils down to the most important thing is the parents. One of the biggest, if not the biggest determining factor if a, if a student will become an elite athlete is the parents and how the parents conduct themselves, how the parents behave, what the parents' profession is, what the parents' socioeconomic status is. So when we say parents shouldn't be involved, that's not the case. The parents are going to be involved whether we like it or not. They're the parents. So I believe there is a coach's responsibility not only to work with the student, but work with the parents. I've, I get extremely frustrated when I've seen coaches give a lesson and then they'll say, oh, it doesn't make any difference. Their parents are crazy. Well, as a coach, we're trying to reduce interference. So 
performance is potential minus interference. If the appearance are a form of interference, we should be trying to educate and help the parents learn and understand how vital their role is in this process and then helping them do the right things. So the parents' role is absolutely vital. And, you know, this isn't, this isn't my opinion. This is from awesome research, as I say, that Stuart has pointed out to me, but also um, Dr. Fran talks a lot about uh, Bloom's work and developing talent in young people. And in, in that book and, and the research that Bloom's done, it, it, it points this out and how vital the parents' role is. If you're enjoying this episode, head over to golfsciencelive.com slash better training and get four videos that we've put together to help you have a more game-like training learning environment. We'll dive into the specific things that you can do to get more out of the time that you spend on the range. Golfsciencelive.com slash better training. All right, let's get back to it. Bloom exposes a lot of this research on now the parents influence and you know i completely 100% agree the the role of the parents huge and um, bloom and it, the developing talent in young people does an incredible job of exposing that and as well ericsson's got some work out there in the cambridge handbook um about deliberate practice and he touches on the parents role in that as well so there's some good there's some good books for people to read out there that that really boiled the parents' role down to a few things. And just off the top of my head, I know that Ericsson and Bloom talk about the, at the end of the day, the parents are usually the ones that pay for it. And yeah. so they have a huge role straight off the bat. Yeah. And then, you know, the parents, the parents are the chaperone as well. They have to, they travel. And usually uh, if the, if the kids are, re- are really engaged with what, whatever sport there is that they're playing in our case, golf, parents will, move to a different location in some cases in most cases so that the kids can be nearer the coach it sounds crazy but they do and then you know the kids spend most of the time or more time a lot more time around the parents than they do when they're with us coaches so yeah i I couldn't agree more about the parents role I've been lucky enough to work with um, kevin smeltz as well who's obviously a top 100 instructor and myself and him, we've talked about this quite a lot, and he's, he's read Bloom's work. And actually at Bishop's Gate now, what we're trying to do, we're trying to coach the parents and educate the parents. So we've put together almost a course for parents to go through. I had three students last year that were under severe stress due to, um, I guess, unrealistic parental expectations or some of the language that parents were using around the the student and i didn't just say oh that student's in a bad situation their parents are crazy i tried to first of all seek to understand why their parents would behave like that and then second of all i actually reached out shared what i was working on with their son or daughter and shared it in an educational way and asked them to become almost like a co-coach with me and one of the parents completely shifted. And guess what happened? The performance of the individual changed. So we often look, okay, sh- this, this student isn't playing well. Let's fix the club face or let's get them in the gym and work on the physical mobility. 
But actually, in this instance, we educated the parent, the parent's language changed, and the student's performance actually, I wouldn't say skyrocketed, but it, it, the levels changed. It went back to where it was before all these pressures and stresses started, which was a great result. You know, it just reminded me of how complex it really is when it comes to assessing a student in this, you know, taking the uh, long term look at the development of a player. Yeah. That initial phase when you when you start working with a new student and you have to assess them. Yeah. I mean, how dynamic and complex is that when you actually take into account parents and and different beliefs from not only the students, but parents. I mean, that, that just seems bizarre that having a conversation with a parent changed the performance of a student. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it, it almost sounds crazy. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, I guess, you know, we started this journey together, me and you, and we've been doing it for a number of years now. And I used to just think, okay, oh, if they're not playing well, I'll do some breathing techniques. I'll get them process focused. We'll be fine. And I can do all that, all that stuff, and I can do it extremely well. Well, they, they could go to, to Fran, who's the best in the world at what he does, and have a session with him. But if they go home and the parent even looks at them in a way that they don't like, that can undo everything that we've just done as coaches. So parents are wasting money, we're wasting time, and the student isn't getting what they desire. So the parent education is is huge and actually i think it's becoming a massive passion of mine it's something that i really want to embark on i love what you do cordy getting information out to coaches uh, maybe there's a way we can do a parent one <laughs> yeah for sure i i don't think it's an easy conversation by any means of you know this parent conversation like it, it's frustrating for sure i've had this conversation with a number of of coaches and seen it play out so I think it's a huge myth. Parents don't matter. That's 100%, 100% not true. Just to let listeners in on a little secret, we actually already have our list of myths here. So I'm going to cherry pick one that I want to jump to next. Coach's knowledge is most important. I want to talk about that. Who wants to kick us off? That's <laughs> awesome. That's the one I wanted to pick. That was seamless. <laughs> there you go. I think actually it's very similar to the, the one we've just talked about. When we're talking about parents and the parent's role, the communication is important, but how the parents act and conduct themselves. If parents show certain qualities, and Fran's spoken about this before, where if the dad is in the club championship and every night he goes and practices for two hours and he has deliberate practice and purposeful practice, guess what? The son or the daughter are going to model that. And the coach is very, very much the same. So, what we're really looking for in a golf coach is not 150 certifications and not knowing all the different talks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, that, that is important, but the studies and research show what's more important is that the coach is a transformational leader, that the coach exudes the qualities that we're trying to coach in the student. So, if you want the student to show up on time as a coach, you have to show up on time. If you want the student to show grit and resilience as a coach, you have to have grit, resilience. If you want the, the student to do extra reading and study as a coach, if you're doing extra reading and study, the student will, will model you. And 
I had an instance last year where there was a, a young man at the the golf academy who really he was young. He was from Mexico, very very talented young man. He actually won an under 18s tournament, and he's only 14, uh, and he shot under par for both rounds. So really really good golfer, and the mental work that we did, he he put all of those processes into place, and I felt like he got to a point in his mental game where. I was really happy. This kid was a little bit out of shape. He's a little bit lazy. He was often late. And he wasn't really engaging in the fitness program. And I took him aside and I said, you know, I really think the next thing that you need to work on is is your fitness. Thanks for engaging with me so well. Thanks for taking everything I've said seriously, working on it in your own time, reading. You know, you've been an exceptional student. I would I think the next thing is you need to transfer that into your fitness. And he just refused. And I took a look at maybe why. And at that point, I don't think I'd exercised in six months. You know, me sitting down and having that conversation and talking about the importance of fitness and the mind-body connection and stuff like that. If I'm not doing that myself, I'm not really in a position to, to be asking other people to do it. So way more important than the knowledge that a coach has is actually that they're a transformational leader themselves. That's a great statement. I mean, I think I remember, clearly remember back in England a few years ago, I was trying to get as much information as I possibly could, and I was working with a student, and he loved coming to golf so much, not because of what he was, what information I was unloading on him at the time, but because I always had a smile on my face and I always cared about him. That was yeah. it. That's the only reason he came and enjoyed golf. He, he didn't have aspirations to go and play professionally. He just kept coming back because he knew how much I cared about him. And then later on, six months later, he actually got so engaged with it that his his goals changed. He wanted awesome. to play. He wanted to play competitive golf, and you know, as much as I wanted those 150 certifications, they really they really didn't mean much then. And at the end of the day, no one really cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah, I love that. And I think that almost leads on to another myth. Fire away. That, that kids have to win. Like this seven, eight, nine-year-old, if you go win junior world, then you're going to be a superstar. If you'd have taken that approach with that student, he's no longer playing golf. He's another statistic, uh, a bad one for the game. Now, the approach you took was just trying to get him to come trying to get him to come, have fun, enjoy. You engaged him in the, in the correct phase of participation for his age and, and ability. So there is this myth that seven, eight, nine-year-olds, if they go, they win junior world, then that's it. They're destined for glory. And that shouldn't be our goal as coaches. Our goal as coaches should not be getting seven, eight, and nine-year-olds to win. It should be getting seven, eight, and nine-year-olds to buy into this amazing game and have lifelong participation. And John Kessel's quote or statement, and I don't know where it is, but I've seen it somewhere. And I know you know John Matthews, so you'll be able to um, correct me. But he said, he used to say, like, X amount of US volleyball, X amount of wins, X amount of internationals. And now what he says is like 6,220 to zero. That's how many people he's coached, and the zero is how many people have dropped out of the sport. 
And to me, that hit me hard when he said that. And over time, as I've read more science and research, I realize it's not about winning as a kid. It is about lifelong participation. And then when they make the choice that they want to be a winner, then maybe you look at some structural changes to the way they practice and the intensity of practice. But in that initial phase, winning doesn't mean anything. It's garbage. <laughs> yeah. One of um, my favorite episodes that we've done was with Dr. Brett McCade talking about the psychological impacts of early specialization and just some of the long-term impacts that it can have of, of, you know, in a sense, not forcing, but like focusing that seven, eight, nine-year-old in on, um, on winning and focusing in on the sport and just how detrimental that can be, not, not only to golf, not only to sport, but to life as well. So I, I think that kind of mindset can really shape a path for, you know, for someone. And so it's really important to kind of spread, spread that education and that myth of kids must win. Yeah. Completely, completely not true from if they're going to make it to the PGA tour, you know, it's not true in that sense. And it's not true that they're going to turn out as you know a great human being that kid, you know, having you know, winning a tournament does not mean that by any means. So I'm a, complete agreement with what you're saying there awesome okay guys so the last one we'll cover is um that kids must perfect their swing or their technique i like this one because it's correct to a point uh and again i'm i'm so blessed to work around extremely talented coaches that i've seen this in action with stuart morgan at ijga and i've spoken to stuart and I'm really taking his information. <laughs> so if he listens, he can correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, but he's given <laughs> me the studies to read, which, which I've gone and read. And yeah, you know what? There's these long-term athletic development windows. And some, are, some might be valid and some might be questionable. And, and, and the jury's a little bit out on some of them in the, in the most recent research. But one that stands true is when kids are going through their peak growth spurts, they have no idea of where their body is in time and space. Like absolutely none. They, they stand up out of a chair and they fall over. And we've all seen the, kid, the kids when we were at school or the kids at school now that turn up and their clothes fitted them. And then three days later, like their trousers are three quarter length shorts because they're going through this crazy growth spurt. Their limbs are growing at a rapid rate. Now, if they're in that phase of their life, which really is, is puberty, if they're in that accelerated phase of growing, then potentially they shouldn't be messing around with their technique. They should be getting awareness of where their hands, feet, where their body is in time and space. If you start messing around with technique there, it can have a detrimental effect on their golf swing. So yes, I understand when kids are, are really young, there has to be some element of getting the mechanics flowing and reducing the, the degrees of freedom. That is absolutely correct. But you have to look out for this phase um, where, they're, where they're going through their growth spurt and then what you have to try and create there is more feel, more see, just more general awareness. Kids should almost be doing 
roly polies, cartwheels, whatever it is, just to understand their body more and, and actually gain some control over their limbs. And I have seen Stuart give lessons in front of parents and explain this far more elegantly than, than I have to the parent and then give a lesson all based on feel and awareness and actually ball strike and flight have improved. So yes, students should be working on their technique, but in this phase, coaches have to be aware of it and steer clear for a certain period of time. Yeah, I mean, and to add on to that point as well, Ian, I think you can elaborate on this, but the psychological effects of this particular phase, this particular window when kids' growth is accelerating, and if a coach is still working with the player on specific technical aspects of the direction the club's swinging and club face and path and and all these other uh, things, and they're not seeing any results, and they're really struggling to figure out, well, why can't I hit it? I did this three weeks ago. Yeah, I think even the psychological effects then for the student, uh, you know, it could be very off-putting, and and I don't know the facts on this, and so maybe I shouldn't say it, but I I have a, an inclination as to believe that maybe some kids drop out at this point as well, not knowing what phase they're in, yeah, because they uh, can't all of a sudden they they've gone from hitting the ball to struggling to find the face. Yeah, that that age group is the the highest dropout age group. That is in the, the stats and, and the statistics and the facts. Whether that's the contributing factor, I don't know. I think it's more, okay, at 7, 8, 9, 10, this kid was a superstar. At 13, 14, he's got a two-way miss and chunking chips, mm. and no one understands why. Now, yeah, he, he, the coach, we talked about developing grit and resilience, so... In that age group, it's going to come naturally because everything's changing and, and they're going to struggle. But again, imagine educating the parents on this. Imagine educating the child. Imagine being an experienced coach that's taken someone through this model and they're now playing on the tour or they're now a, a, a high-level collegiate player and showing them befores and afters of this person's swing. And actually, that's what Stuart's done with me. He's coached a, a young girl called M Price, who plays for, for England girls. And he's talked a lot with me about what he did with her. And he's told me that her mechanics at eight and nine were awesome. She hit this growth period and the club was going all over the place. But because he'd read Ernst Vick's research and was in touch with, with Ernst Vick and understood all this, he left it alone, worked on different things. And over time, it, it evolved and she at this present time is a is a very successful golfer so this is more of of me learning through other coaches and then asking them for me to see the research and studies but yeah for for me it's it makes sense because i've seen i've seen the failures and i'm now glad someone is explaining to me okay look this is why this is how you get through this phase and this is how it can be successful so I think that busts the, the myth, if you like, or I've seen coaches work through this now in a more correct or a more scientific based and understandable fashion. 
Totally true. Well, I think that's that's a good place to end. We've gone through five myths, Ian. Uh, appreciate you sharing. If people want to get in touch and maybe tell you that they completely disagree with you or they do agree with you, maybe on Twitter, uh, how can they yeah. do that? <laughs> yeah, um, my Twitter handle is BG underscore IJGA coach. I'm also on Facebook as Ian Highfield and Ian is IAIN. Perfect. And we'll make sure to link that up in the show notes here for this episode. Perfect. Appreciate you sharing, Ian. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Cordy. And, you know, keep keep doing what you're doing. I love the, the stuff that you, that you get out there. And I think, you know, just some of the guests you have on are, are excellent. And I learned something from every one of your shows that I listen to. So keep getting your stuff out there. And thanks to you, Matthew, for, for facilitating it through game-like training. It's awesome. No problem, man. Pleasure. Cool. Thank you.